Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Rev. Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join the discussion, email us at yogahour at unity.fm. Now, here's your host, Rev. Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and I'll be sharing with you today some insights and practices from the spiritual tradition of yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization. Yoga is a familiar word to many today, but not everyone is fully aware of its spiritual meaning, how it refers to what is called samadhi. Uh, this oneness consciousness where our attention and our awareness comes to consciously rest in our essential nature, pure existence being beyond all change and phenomena. So yoga is consciously abiding in the awareness of our true self. Um, think of it as being restored to our original oneness, our original wholeness. It is self-realization. It's knowing what we are, and then, of course, living in harmony with that knowing. Today, we're going to take a look at yoga as a global movement. We're we're in a time where awareness and practices of yoga is expanding worldwide. And there are some gifts of yoga that... um, that yoga is bringing to the world, and of course also some challenges that also come along with that. Um, millions of people are practicing some form of it today, and um, so we're seeing it morph and uh, reach out to meet global needs. And Dr. Christopher Key Chapel is a leading voice today on yoga, not only philosophy and practice, but also yoga and ecology, and the potential that exists for this ancient practice to inspire us modern-day yogis to participate in planetary healing. Dr. Chapel is Doshi Professor of Indic and Comparative Theology at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles. He received um, his 12-year spiritual training in classical yoga with the guidance of Gurani Anjali at Yoganand Ashram in Amityville, New York. He has translated many yoga texts from Sanskrit and has published more than 15 books, including 
Uh, Yoga and the Luminous, Patanjali's Spiritual Path to Freedom. Welcome, Chris. I'm so delighted that you're back with me today on the Yoga Hour. Well, thank you, Alan. It's good to be in in connection again. Thanks. Before we turn our attention to yoga and the world, let's take a moment to just have a short centering meditation. One reality called by many names is the source, the substance, the support of all that is. So in this moment, let's simply turn our awareness to that, with a capital T, that. One reality. Know it is around us. It is between us, above us, below us, within us. And simply feel our connection to the oneness of all life. And you can use your breath as a prayer as we just pause before we begin our conversation. Perhaps as you breathe in, just the thought within, breathing in and breathing out, without, so within, without, one life, breathing in, breathing out, one life. And something as simple as this, breathing in, breathing out, can help us slow down for a moment, become centered, let the breathing get quiet. And we notice as the breathing gets quiet, so does the mental chatter. When the mental chatter gets quiet, our awareness can expand and we can become aware of the peace that is always within us that is innate to our being let's invite that peace now to pervade the mental field emotional nature physical body And let's invite that peace to overflow now, to touch all beings, all life everywhere. We have a wonderful opportunity today to look at Let's contemplate a little bit this ancient path of yoga and the intersection with it in our fast-paced modern world. 
listeners, at least the ones in the U.S., of course, are familiar with the popularity of yoga in this country. And uh, Chris, in your book, Yoga and the Luminous, you, you mentioned that as many as 15 million Americans regularly attend a yoga class. And I know since that book has been published that, that the millions have climbed. And um, so in addition... Yeah, the estimate to, is up to about 20 million today. So <laughs> yeah, so and, cl- and climbing... Yes. So, in addition to yoga studios with their focus on Hatha Yoga, there are also uh, many meditation and spiritual centers in the U.S., um, Buddhist centers practicing uh, some form of yoga, and of course meditation, and those centered in um, what we see as classical yoga coming from the Vedic tradition, including uh, Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, my uh, spiritual home in San Jose. And, you know, you've um, practiced and uh, studied yoga as an ancient tradition over the decades. And I know that you've seen this uh, change that has come and seen yoga spreading uh, not only throughout the U.S. but around the world. Um, Let's start there. What have you seen and um, what's happening, Chris, with yoga as it finds its way into living yeah, rooms it's, it's around very the world. interesting. You know, with, with my work, I have the gift of traveling quite a bit the last few years. And for instance, when I was in Utrecht, the Netherlands this summer, I saw a yoga studio very similar to what one would find in Oakland or in Los Angeles or Santa Monica. And sure enough, the people that found it, this particular yoga center, are from California. And what they have done is really replicate, and I think this is happening in various places throughout the world, where the very popular, what we call modern postural yoga, which has a, an invitation for people to come in to experience some movement, to experience some breathing, to experience some peace, that this model of the yoga studio is being uh, repeated all over the world. Some of my um, friends, in fact, have taken up international work in communicating yoga, have left California and are running studios in Latin America, Europe, and elsewhere. And I also see the same thing beginning to happen um, in India, although uh, just a, a few days ago I was at a place called the Yoga Institute, which is probably the oldest modern yoga center in India. It's in the Santa Cruz neighborhood of Mumbai near the airport. And they have a thousand people come through every day for yoga class. It's just absolutely remarkable. So both in the homeland and and the place of origin and really all throughout the world, we're seeing this practice being um, taken up by by Mm -hmm. people of really all walks of life. And, you know, um, what I find interesting is the change, you know, not only in the proliferation of yoga studios, you know, which now you can go into a small town in the U.S. and, and you know, it's kind of like Starbucks. You know, there, there are as many yoga studios as there are coffee shops. Um, but but also the change that that i've seen is that um y- you know decades ago when there was a place that was hatha oriented um for the most part even the 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 shows that we had on tv the few of them um were really centered um on posture 
and mm-hmm. yoga as a form of exercise. And we still, you know, we still see that in the studios. I mean, people are there for fitness, but the studios themselves are almost like little temples. Um, you know, so many of them are arranged very beautifully, um, and sometimes they have a focus um, for meditation. And um, that element is included more than it used to be, and it and it's there, um, kind of like a little taste, you know, of of the deeper um, elements of, of of yoga. Have you seen that too? Yes, and I remember um, the first time that I walked into one of our Beach City Yoga Studios. Oh, some years ago, when this was just beginning to happen. And I was just stunned with the the care and the color and the beauty and the images from a whole range of traditions. And I think that with the rise of um, the woman, women's voices within yoga, that there is a, an increased attention put toward the aesthetic aspect of creating a beautiful environment in which to do yoga. Mm-hmm. And this, of course, harkens back to the color sensibilities of India, which are quite brilliant, but also to the idea of creating um, uh, a room that invites people in, makes people feel warm and comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's um, a very important carryover. One of the things that um, I think anyone who has traveled to India will will just proclaim is that anyone who takes a camera to India becomes an excellent photographer because there are so <laughs> many interesting and beautiful things to see. Mm-hmm. And I think that the yoga studios are, are picking up on that cue. Mm, I think so too. And and I was sort of wondering about, you know, and you read the st- statistics that, you know, this generation of, you know, people in their 20s, um, young people are not so inclined, you know, to carry on um, attendance at traditional uh, religious um, uh, places, you know, um, that 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 they're the largest group that ha- is is showing very little interest <laughs> in their parents' religions, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and it occurred to me that you know many of them are finding their way um, into this place that is kind of an opening to spirituality, but it can also start at the physical level um, and the tactile level, as you're mentioning. You you can come into some of these places, and um, and there's a temple quality to them that I think is is very, very positive. uh, Yeah, I very much agree. Yeah. And maybe maybe we'll capture some of the young people. Now, you, of course, have, uh, I think, a good exposure to this generation of young people who are um, spiritually searching at, at college, I would think. How, how are you seeing that um, generation? Yeah, it's very interesting because we've, at our university, have had yoga long since I joined the faculty almost 30 years ago. So... We've always had, um, through our dance department, yoga classes available to our students, and we've just seen an explosion in interest so that we have several people that teach yoga for credit to our undergraduates. And then we also, through our recreation center, have classes various times throughout the day. And many of the students who have taken yoga teacher trainings are, in fact, teaching other students and then people come into the rec center from some of the spiritual organizations uh, in, in Los Angeles, and they're also offering yoga. 
So what a lot of people do is that they begin to build a life of spiritual practice around going to yoga class at least once a week, oftentimes many more times a week. And it's actually quite um, adorable to see both men and women carrying their yoga mats around campus. (laughs) And it's not restricted to our place. You know, I've talked Mm -hmm. to many people who have... um, really entered into uh, yoga practice through um, similar offerings at universities throughout the country. Mm. So universities, and, and we'll come back to talking about that later in the program, so that's certainly one avenue, and and this expansion of, of yoga studios, people's interest in health and fitness as a place where it begins, um, but also we have the internet now, and so, um, you know, so many spiritual organizations, of course, have websites, and there's a way for people to, to find a way and to learn more about yoga, um, what have you seen in terms of this globalization of yoga um, connected to the Internet? Yeah, it's quite fascinating. And our own ashram in Amityville, New York, uh, pioneered one of the very first yoga websites and actually got some remarkable recognition for that many, many years ago. And now with the advent of streaming video, there are places such as Yoga Glow that have full yoga classes taught by some really remarkable teachers available streaming online for a rather small monthly fee plus free lectures that are posted. And then some of the good philosophers, I'm thinking of Mark Tchaikovsky, who wrote the wonderful book, The Doctrine of Vibration. He's based in Varanasi, a British scholar uh, trained at Oxford, and he has many, many hours of his lectures that are a very high level in terms of Tantra. And Mm -hmm. we have had him teach at LMU uh, a couple of different occasions. And we actually, while he was in town a couple of years ago, we visited someone in Hollywood, um, a Swami who, an American Swami, who has been completely fascinated with his work and was just delighted to meet him. And we had a very, very interesting conversation. So I think that... The mediation of the Internet and the wider accessibility is facilitating um, really a depth of study that was not available previously, and it's also making for some very wonderful interpersonal connections along the way as well. It really is. And, you know, when we think about it, you know, it, it, sometimes I feel, you know, like I'm just on a fast train <laughs> and living in mm-hmm. this, living in this time. But, you know, in such a, a relatively short period of time, you know, when our, um, in our lineage, when Paramahansa Yogananda, you know, came to America and, you know, he innovated having, um, home study lessons that went to his students, you know, through the mail that they exactly. could get, you know, yoga lessons. And that was huge. That was a breakthrough, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. just you know, in that short period of time since 1920, you know, when you look at what the internet has made possible um, to open the doors, and you know, I think there's a a great um, blessing to it, you know, and you cite some of the things that can can occur, and then you know, there's also the downside of you know. Um, 
not not get being able to be grounded so much you know going here and there there's just so much information available to people that that in itself can be contrary to yoga's purpose of being focused and still <laughs> so yeah well i think it goes really to the practice of svadhyaya or spiritual study and for so many people the autobiography of a yogi was both a gateway but also a way to communicate um, even across families. I remember when I first got involved with yoga, seriously, uh, when I was still a teenager and I wanted to explain it to my parents, I gave them <laughs> his autobiography so that they really had a sense of, of uh-huh. the path that I was pursuing. And like that, the uh, Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, all of these books are, in a sense, um, classics that continue. And now we have all this augmentation. You know, we have augmentation yeah. with... Um, the the music that's now available streaming mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. well as short videos, long videos, and there's a wonderful documentary on um, on Yogananda that's being prepared that I think will will have a good reception. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, the the next step for people once they have um, some of the information, there is still a need for even a need even more than ever before. For personal guidance, and we face these conversations in higher education. Um, many of the universities have posted all of their lectures online, and what I'd like to think about is that we're in the post-information age. That information <laughs> is something that we can get quite readily, more easily than ever before. But what we really need is human guidance, and mm. this is what sadhana provides. And this mm-hmm. is, I think, what is really drawing people into yoga studios, because mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. requires full presence of body, mind, and spirit, and mm-hmm. connections with other people. Mm-hmm. And the Internet can, re- can imitate that, but it can't really provide that with the level yeah. of intimacy yeah. that the human being craves for. Exactly. That was just so well put that it, it gives us a sense of um, what's possible for us and and some of the ways that um, we can support this movement. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with guest Dr. Christopher Key Chapel, author of several books on yoga philosophy and practice, including Yoga and the Luminous, a commentary on Patanjali's Yoga Sutra. We'll be right back with you and we're going to dive into yoga and the environment. If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you'll give your support so others may be inspired too. This online radio network depends on the love offerings of listeners to continue operating and expand its outreach. Please visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you. Reverend Paulette Pipe's voice has been called mesmerizing, the sound of spirit expressing in soothing honey tones. If you're one of the loyal listeners who tune in each week for her program, Touching the Stillness, you already know the power of her meditations. 
If her programs leave you wanting more, purchase one or both of her meditation CDs, Touching the Stillness, her first CD, and the newly released Resting in Stillness. This latest CD combines Paulette's alchemic voice with an original score by pianist Kelly Hunt and will transport you to a place of divine peace. Enliven your meditations with Reverend Paulette Pipe as your guide and take her soothing voice and peaceful presence with you wherever you go. Get your copy today. Go to www.unity.org and then click on Shop. That's www.unity.org and click on Shop at the top of the page. Reverend Paulette's mantra is, It's all a prayer. Tune in every Tuesday as Unity Minister Paulette Pipe leads you in meditation and prayer on touching the stillness. Make no mistake, this is not nap time. With an energy that will captivate you, touching the stillness will guide you in deep meditation, leaving you enlivened. Hear astounding meditations and learn more about different forms of meditation. Enrich your prayer life as Reverend Paulette, Senior Minister of Touching the Stillness Ministries, affirmatively prays with power and authority by taking live prayer requests from callers like you. Whether you have a prayer request for yourself or for a loved one or are ready for a deepened meditation experience, make sure you tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Central Time, where we'll be joining in consciousness with the unceasing prayer activity of the Silent Unity 24-7 Prayer Ministry at Unity Village. That's Touching the Stillness with Rev. Paulette Pipe every Tuesday right here on Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Letting go in the stillness. You're listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and I'm joined today by Dr. Christopher Key Chapel. Uh, you can find out more about his publications and his work at myweb.lmu.edu slash cchapple, C-H-A-P-P-L-E slash. In this segment, we're going to talk about yoga and the environment. Um, so, we, you know, we were talking about in the first segment, this globalization of yoga, how it's definitely come out of the cave. It's on the internet. It's uh, in studios across uh, around the world. And, um, and now we're seeing many modern uh, practitioners of yoga engaged in the world. And um, there's starting to be a movement, this connection of yoga and seva, which of course has already been, always been there in the traditional um, practice of yoga. But, but we're seeing this um, evolve in some new and interesting ways. And one of them, of course, is making the profound connection in, between yoga and ecology. 
And um, Chris, I've been um, just delighted with your work, your investigation of that, and your way of articulating it. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you've seen those streams coming together and um, why it's been so important to you. I think it really goes back to first my childhood. I grew up in a, a beautiful rural area of New York State. And the training that we received in classical yoga, and you can find the particular instructions for this practice uh, in the Garanda Samhita, but our very first months of yoga were dedicated to what are called the meditations or the dharanas on the pancha mahabhutas, which are the five great elements. And in this practice, one cultivates an intimacy through gazing upon and regarding and thinking about for a fixed period of time every morning and every afternoon in sequence for the first month, um, the earth, the second month, water, the third month, fire, the fourth month, the air, and our breath, and then the fifth month, um, space. And by setting aside those 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at night and really cultivating an intimacy with these foundational elements of our being, the great truths of the Upanishads that what's small is large and what is large is small, um, they become a reality. Mm-hmm. So that there is this, this connection um, that is not an abstraction but a very, very real and felt embodied experience of a continuity between our bodies and their smallness and the universe and its vastness. And this leads to really a sensitization of the beauties that surround us. And with an appreciation of beauty comes care. And as our teacher would say, um, she created this beautiful song that proclaims the earth is burning the sky is ablaze, and that unless we wake up and pay attention, that the earth is suffering. And one of her early unforgettable statements was in commenting upon athletic fields brilliantly lit at night. She said, you know, that really robs the power of the sun. And she would talk about in her own childhood, uh, in years before there was electricity in Calcutta, that she did her studies by by oil lamp and that energy was something that was a valued commodity, very treasured and very, very much appreciated. So she was always one to encourage us to be awake to the change of seasons, to be alive and awake to our senses, and to be very, very careful about what we consume, what we use, to always make sure to turn off the lights if we're not using them, to we were in New York State to you know keep the thermostat at um, you know at a reasonable uh, temperature, not making it too hot in the winter, and we of course never had air conditioning in the summer. So um, those small lifestyle choices we know are really um, of profound importance and are a very integral part of expressing our practices of yoga today. And I think, you know, for many of us in the West, um, 
it is possible, you know, to live in our cities or our suburbs um, in particular and and be so insulated, you know, from nature and out of touch with it. You know, like sometimes I, I find people, you know, saying, well, you know, what is the, what's happening with the weather, you know, and then they'll check the iPhone instead of, um, you know, really, this is the way it's happening. Instead of checking, you know, their own felt sense of, you know, is the air changing? Is there rain coming? You know, which, which you, you can feel and you can sense. And often, you know, your your perception of that is is better than what you're going to get, you know, by Googling it. Um, but But sometimes, you know, we're just, sort of disconnected in that way and you know not even knowing like what phase the moon is in and mm. um so you know as you say coming into contact in the the beautiful meditation that you have described uh today and also on uh one of our earlier shows with you um about your um your new uh book i think the in praise of mother earth uh we mm. had talked a little bit about that um, meditating on the elements and I remember for me what one of the things that came out of that that was so unexpected was the actual experience of seeing that how can I put this that all of the elements are contained in everything and it, mm. and and you know that's the in in Samkhya philosophy, we see that, you know, like uh, in creation, the, the five elements are there in, in a mixture and everything, right? And um, so somehow in that meditation, I saw that there was fire in water. Mm-hmm. And um, that was fascinating to me, <laughs> and it was really Yeah, yeah, because always was... a degree of, of warmth. Um, in every substance, and there's always a degree of solidity as well as fluidity in every substance. Yes. And the pran um, not only energizes us, but there's always an exchange of pran with really any object. And we all are put together in space. Exactly. Exactly. And and so that meditation, you know, and and I think this, of course, can happen for anyone. When when you look really deeply and carefully like that, you know, like studying the elements, it, it, this knowledge opens up, you know, from inside of us. And when you see the, that oneness, you know, in everything, then things lose their, um, solidity in the way of becoming an object. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I think is so important to our having this relationship with the earth that we understand as uh, sacred um, rather than, you know, some fixed object. Exactly. And, you know, Western philosophers have some beautiful ways of expressing this. People such as Merleau-Ponty, who talks about the felt body, in Husserl, who always emphasizes that our relationship with things are more important than ourselves or the things, that there is this um, intersubjectivity that is undeniable in our experience of the world. But it also comes uh, full circle to the need for social action. And one of the organizations that I've been involved with over the years, the Green Yoga Association, has uh, really brought to people's attention the need to do yoga outside, the importance Mm. of taking a walk, the importance of 
really not making yoga something that is wed simply to uh, a yoga mat that may most likely be made of artificial materials, but that the yoga really needs to be brought out um, into nature and also into the work of everyday life. So in, um, for instance, these big, big yoga conventions that take place periodically sponsored by Yoga Journal, the Green Yoga Association has um, taken some very important steps to make these more environmentally friendly. And one is that they have arranged rather than bottled water being provided, that there will be um, water bottles that are made out of metal that you can um, you know, refill from a purified water source uh, rather than this horrible proliferation of plastic often um, foisted upon organizations by, quote, sponsors. Mm-hmm. And then also to um, reduce a lot of the clutter. You know, most people mm-hmm. are, many organizations are sort of stuck in the old model of um, putting up flyers and giving up brochures. And what the Green Yoga Association has really done is to sort of focalize the information exchange so that there will be small bits of, of cards um, or postcards that give websites, but of course now everybody is are, you know, connected in a way that um, you know, our use of trees, thankfully, is diminishing. Not that things are perfect. I mean, there's all mm-hmm. sorts of waste and problem that comes with um, electronic media, but nonetheless, um, I think we all appreciate... Um, the idea that if we can spare trees in a forest, that is, it is a good way to go. Mm, and just being more conscious, you know, it's a lovely to learn about the Green Yoga Association and 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 really to to start with um, practitioners of yoga looking at ourselves, you know, um, and we did that in our own center. You know, we we had just kind of fallen into the unconscious. Um, habit of of providing those plastic water bottles you know when we had big classes or conferences or mm-hmm. you know or having them you know for the choir when the choir was singing you know like how do you have a little refreshment you know for for th- 25 30 people and and you know it was a big conversation with our staff of how to make the leap you know of getting over that and and um and and deciding you know how do we do something that's going to be you know sanitary is going to work for i mean it was kind of funny how long it took to really oh yeah this to- is a huge process <laughs> and it's so beautiful to be as i was just traveling through some of the less developed parts of india in some of the train stations, the standard way of you know receiving buying yogurt or you know even getting um, something to drink is that there will be clay pot and mm. you consume whatever it is that you've purchased from the vendor, and then the clay pot gets broken up, thrown in a pile, and then eventually the potter will come and and add water to all the broken pots, and the pot will be recycled again into another pot. And one of the great struggles in India today is what to do with all the plastic. Mm-hmm. And this is um, really um, a struggle that we have managed to, through our so-called sanitary landfills, to push aside and, and hide from public view. But in a place like India, where 
you will see just roadside trash and great abundance of you know discarded plastic bags and bottles. It really brings home the fact that okay, you know we buried them in in canyons here in Los Angeles, but we're going to run out of canyon space after a while, mm-hmm. and that we really have to um, think about you know both the extraction of the resource that goes into making all of these creature comforts and the disposal of the waste when it's all over. Yeah, and I think that we do have, um, there's another layer of denial about our use of plastic in that, you know, many of us have curbside recycling now uh, Mm -hmm. in our Mm -hmm. homes, and um, I was uh, reading some statistics from our own community. You know, we have this idea that it's okay, you know, to buy plastic and use it because we can recycle. But in reality, in many communities, what the the amount of plastic that is actually recycled is something like seven or ten percent of what you're putting out <laughs> on your curbside yeah. so yeah. um and the rest of it as i understand um is you know either going to landfills or being shipped to other countries to be burned and yeah. um <laughs> that, that is really wild you know that somehow we have this idea it goes on our curbside and then it's all taken care of and so you know uh, as we practice yoga we certainly can come into this awareness that you know everything is connected and um so we're connected to what we put on our curbside you know it doesn't it doesn't end there and um exactly. So that that is great. And, of course, diet, you know, is another um, way that um, our study and practice of yoga can um, bring about some positive changes in our own health and in the health of our planet. You know, have you seen any changes there where diet, food, yoga, and global health are, are being connected up? Oh, the research is phenomenal. And what we know about diet, uh, there's a wonderful study called the Colin Campbell study, which um, was conducted many years ago using a, a, just a mountain of data in rural China. And in rural China, up until very recently, they had very, very minimal animal protein in food. They ate very low on the, on the food chain with most of the protein coming from legume sources and uh, virtually no incidence of either heart disease or of cancer. And what we see now, in not only in China but also in India, is that with the adoption of a more Western diet, that is a meat and dairy diet, that the um, incidence, which was hitherto virtually unknown, of, of cancer and heart disease, is just escalating, and this um, is a lesson that we're beginning to learn in the West, and the percentage of vegetarians is increasing. I think it's even more than 5% now in the United States, which if you think about that is really quite huge. And unfortunately, it's going the other direction in Asia, but as uh, this information becomes more widely disseminated, I think that we'll um, see eventually... um, a shift worldwide toward uh, a more vegetarian-based diet. Mm-hmm. And I just, um, you know, I used to be a cook in a vegetarian restaurant. And I'm <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, we had a vegetarian restaurant for 25 years as, as part of our spiritual community in New York. 
and that's how I cooked. I literally cooked my way through graduate school. <laughs> and uh, this past trip to India, I um, was just so delighted to collect some new recipes and to learn some new tricks. And one of my long fascinations has been South Indian food, which is mm-hmm. um, dosa, idli, vada, mm-hmm. and so forth. And the, and the foundation of this diet is uh, a mix of ground um, rice and lentils that really forms a, a perfect protein complement. And I was just delighted to um, learn some recipes and, and start innovating here at home, knowing that you know you don't need to use a lot of oil, that you really don't need eggs to make things hold together, and that mm-hmm. you know certainly there's um, no need to have meat in one's diet. That everything mm-hmm. is is really covered with with these other um, with these other foodstuffs. It is, and I think we're living in such a time now where um, we have some fabulous chefs that are um, making um, vegan and vegetarian diet um, so appealing um, to to many. Um, we're going to take a break now, and when we come back, we'll um, finish up with other trends in yoga. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with special guest Dr. Christopher Key Chapel, who's going to be <clears throat> presenting at the upcoming International Kriya Yoga Congress in San Jose, March 7 to 9. That's just a week ahead of us. You can find out about it at csecenter.org. We'll be right back with you. Do you sometimes feel as though the door to happiness has closed and there's no other door in sight? In her book, Ask Yourself This, Unity Minister Wendy Craig Purcell reminds us that Everything happens for a reason. We've all experienced situations which felt like anything but good. We may have lost our job or gone through a divorce or experienced some other dark night of the soul. Yet those very experiences, when met spiritually, can lead us to a much greater good. The lost job can be what finally motivates us to discover the work that truly feeds our soul. The ending of a marriage can trigger us to do the emotional healing and personal growth work we've been avoiding for years. Every one of us can look back at negative or painful experiences in our lives and say that they turned out to be the best, worst things that ever happened to us. For more insight from Wendy Craig Purcell, read Ask Yourself This from Unity House Books. If you're focused on getting the right answers, Ask Yourself This emphasizes the importance of asking the right questions. Order your copy today at www.unity.org. Just what does that dream mean? Ever wake up from a crazy dream and wonder what it meant? Have you had a recurring dream all your life and you just can't get it to stop? Get all your questions about dreams and dream interpretation answered by the leading expert in the field. Unity Online Radio is home to America's leading dream expert, Dr. Michael Lennox. And on Mondays at 2 p.m. Central, the doctor is definitely in. Tune in to Dream Interpretation with Dr. Michael Lennox, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. 
are listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. If you have a question, please submit it via email at yogahour at unity.fm and we will respond. Now, back to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and my guest today is Dr. Christopher Key Chapel. In this segment, we're going to finish up with taking a look at other trends in yoga. We've talked about yoga studios popping up everywhere, just beginning to be an opening to many people to, to discover not only the health benefits of yoga, but the philosophy and lifestyle and how some of those lifestyle changes um, can be uh, beneficial for planetary health as well as individual health. Um, Paramahansa Yogananda predicted that yoga would be taught in the schools um, in the U.S. one day and um, it's true now, of course, we see that more and more schools are offering um, Hatha Yoga programs, as you mentioned um, before, Chris, that, that LMU was doing that many years before you even got there. And uh, also meditation in the schools, you know, as mindfulness has found its way into the schools to increase health and reduce stress. Um, we have an interesting uh, thing going on in California today with the Encinitas school system having been offered a, uh, a grant from the Joyce Foundation um, to bring yoga uh, into the primary grades and um, the school um, the, the school system took it on there and then they're now they're getting some parents who are objecting and even a lawsuit in the mix um, because the parents are concerned that the yoga classes are promoting um, Hinduism. And of course, there's a long-running controversy and question <laughs> about whether or not yoga is a religion um, and you know, given how many yoga practices show up in several religions, we might add, you know, well, which one? Um, and I know you and you and I have had uh, the pleasure of having a little part of this conversation before. Um, you know, how do you respond um, to this question and to this controversy that's going on about yoga in the schools for kids? Yeah, well, my wife teaches first grade, and she's been um, really integrating what she calls yoga breaks into her classroom for years and years and years and years. And the kids love it. The parents are, you know, um, never, never really troubled by this. And what I think um, I found most amusing was going on to a Jerry Falwell video uh, some years ago. And he was responding to, you know, the evangelical objection to yoga. And what he said, which was actually, quite nicely expressed was that, you know, stretching is good, movement is good, having a healthy body is a good thing for being a Christian. And then he said, um, and it was a little bit humorous, but he said, you know, but I want to warn you, you know, don't stick around for those those chants at the end because, you know, there you're, you're maybe getting into some dangerous territory. <laughs> and I just returned from, from India a few days ago, and I actually visited Goa. And Goa is the former Portuguese colony that became fully integrated into the Indian Union in 1962 with quite a brutal history. And uh, the Portuguese mandated that everyone within Goa will be Christian some, you know, four or five hundred years ago. 
destroyed the Hindu temples and really forced out many old, old Hindu families to relocate into other parts of India. And yes, there's a long, brutal um, colonialist history to um, conflict uh, between religious traditions. And what I think that we're seeing in a place like Ensenadas is... is um, a throwback to an earlier period where there's a little bit of mistrust, there's a little bit of fear, and as you so beautifully stated, there are so many different spiritual ways to engage yoga, and there's no reason why uh, Christianity, um, in fact, many Christians of you know Catholic faith, Protestant faith, and including you know many evangelicals, find yoga a wonderful way to clear the body and clear the mind and prepare for, for good spiritual work, for good social justice work, for all of the, the really wonderful things that are uh, the great religious traditions of the world espouse. And for me, with um, you know, multiple um, spiritual traditions as, as part of my formation, including Quakerism, including the intellectual side of Catholicism, including of course, um, yoga is expressed through so many diverse theologies. I mean, you can find um, the languaging of yoga that, that you began our program with, the languaging of oneness, but you can also find what Paramahamsa Ramakrishna said, and what Ramakrishna said, he would rather um, taste honey or to taste sugar than to become sugar, that he really mm-hmm. loved the idea that, that God is external, that the spirit is somehow different from oneself because it's, it's all the better to worship. And he really enjoyed <laughs> that, that rasa, that flavor, that yearning that one feels when you, when you have that separation. Uh, from God, and that you yearn to to see God and to be with God, but you're feeling that you're not there, mm-hmm. and that that is is really quite beautiful. So, I think what's going on in Ensenadas is really very healthy because it's um, creating a public conversation on this topic. And I've been so heartened by the school board because they're mm-hmm. um, rejecting the idea that this, in some way. Um, runs counter to to the best um, principles of, of an American education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their stands um, has been uh, really heroic in this regard, and and you can when you read about it, you can sense that they have been very sensitive and very careful about how the whole program has been set up in terms of, yeah. you know, letting any parents opt out that don't feel comfortable for their children. And, and you know, there is not mantra included in it. It's, it's really the basic um, uh, hatha program for, for stretching and taking care of the body and relaxation. So I agree with you. It's wonderful that this conversation is arising. And, you know, to me, you know, and I was thinking about that, well, you know, we live in a pluralistic society. Um, mm-hmm. And these 
kinds of conversations are going to come up. You know, I, I grew up in the, in the Kennedy era, era, and I remember it was a big thing, you know, that could a Catholic become president of the United States? Right. And so, you know, these, these kinds of conversations come up and, and we grow and we change. So, so hopefully for the sake of the, the kids and the kids that come after, um, we will see this, this program, um, be able to stay. Um, it's been great to have this conversation with you, Chris, and I look forward to being with you at the uh, CREA Congress that's right on our horizon. For the listeners, if you're not yet registered and would like to come to the Congress uh, March 7 through 9 in San Jose, you can go to csecenter.org. Dr. Chapel will be speaking about um, potentially Yoga Sutra, and we'll be uh, enjoying the company of practitioners of yoga from across the U.S. and internationally. Also want to remind you that there are several archived programs at unity.fm with Dr. Chapel. Uh, so, uh, talk on the Bhagavad Gita from February 16th, 2012, and two segments on Yoga Sutra from April uh, 2011. So just go to the archives and you'll be able to find them. I'll be back with you next week uh, with Ron Lindon, That You May Prosper, How to Use the Mind Creatively. And remember to share the Yoga Hour with your friends by liking us on Facebook. I look forward to being with you next time. Until then, let your inner light shine into the world and remember to share your peace and your joy with all that you meet. Bye now. Bye, Chris. Thank you again. Goodbye. It's been a pleasure and I'll be seeing you next week. Very good. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Yoga Hour Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization www.csecenter.org Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org Is there a difference between the spiritual teachings you know and how you live your life? Does your day-to-day experience reflect what you truly value? Are you ready to receive your life and live the gift that you are? Join Janice Campbell, licensed Unity teacher, author, and coach each week as she shares inspiration and tools to help you identify and dissolve the limiting beliefs that prevent you from living the fullest expression of what you are. Talk with Janice live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central on Receive Your Life, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. Take a moment now to reflect on these words from Reverend Joan Gattuso. According to an ancient Hindu teaching, if you can only speak the truth and tell no lies, either minuscule or outrageous, for 12 consecutive years, you can attain enlightenment. 
A noble being will always tell the truth. Do you? Begin now with the first step of simply noticing if you do tell the truth immediately or if your first instinct is to alter the facts a bit. Resolve to be honest with yourself and others starting today. And after 4,383 days, you just may become enlightened. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. 